I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Good morning, good evening, or good afternoon, depending on when you are listening to this podcast. My name is Stephanie, and welcome to another episode of What is Eating You? In this episode, we take a deep dive into attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. I'm going to talk about the commonly asked questions and subtypes. We also dig into a little bit of narcissism and other commonly asked questions. So sit back, enjoy the episode. And remember, if you have any questions, head on over to my TikTok, comment on my latest video, and I'll be sure to read your comments and integrate your feedback to any of the upcoming shows. Whenever people think, I always thought ADHD was this hyperactive male presentation. And to be honest, the DSM-5 criteria, and the DSM-5 is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. The criteria in this book was designed almost for hyperactive males. And for this reason, a lot of women have been marginalized because they haven't met that specific criteria. And over the years, the criteria has changed. So we used to know it as ADD, which was basically ADHD without the hyperactivity. However, now ADHD is one diagnosis with three subtypes and women predominantly meet the inattentive subtype. Then we have the hyperactivity impulsivity subtype. And then we have a combined subtype of both. And in school, Due to societal norms, women have fallen through the cracks because in a classroom, women tend to have, women tend to have better behavior and they're more prone to engage in what we call hiding behaviors. So women who may struggle with ADHD in the classroom are likely to sit at the back and hope they don't get called out to answer a question. And because I guess they're better behaved, so to speak, they, they don't tend to get, um, called out or they're not particularly disruptive with the inattentive subtype. They keep a low profile, whereas, um, people with the hyperactivity or impulsivity subtype tend to clown around or be loud and have that profile we all think ADHD is. 
So ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, it's a it's a neurodevelopmental condition, which means it you are born with it. You are born with it and it is a contrary to what people think. It's not a deficit in attention. It's difficulty regulating your attention. So someone who's neurotypical, they can sort of do different tasks throughout the day. They can divert their attention. Whereas someone with ADHD, it's either attention is random or it's hyperfixated on something. And neurodivergent is the other way people describe it. Whereas people without ADHD may describe themselves as uh, neurotypical. And the combined subtype is and you can either have hyperactivity or impulsivity, but especially in women, we don't see a lot of the hyperactivity is not so much in behavior. It's more just being talkative, chatty, sometimes inattentive, being a bit impulsive. We don't really see them, you know, throwing chairs or being super hyperactive in their behavior. It's more sort of, yeah, just being chatty and, and that type of um, impulsivity. And it can be really damaging because a lot of women describe their symptoms as not reaching their full potential in their career or they feel they can't demonstrate their full capacity or they feel they can't get on top of things no matter how hard they're trying. And you are trying as hard as your executive function allows, but you got to remember you're trying to deal with a neurotypical environment. Your environment isn't designed to meet your executive bar- your executive functioning barriers. And yes, you are doing well and getting a six or a seven is, imagine if you were thriving in an environment that was neurodivergent or set up in a way that helped you study. But yes, the the issue is there's a lot of shame around the diagnosis and internalized shame because teachers, parents, they internalize these voices such as, oh, if only you applied yourself or, you know, you're not reaching your full potential. And that's why a lot of women hide or don't seek a diagnosis because of these internalized ideals that you're basically brought up with because of difference in your brain wiring. And again, depends on the subtype, but let's go with the inattentive presentation because that is is more popular in women. So one of the main features is difficulty getting going, even when you know you have to. There's this activating to do things that just does not happen. And there's disorganization, forgetfulness, distractibility, zoning out. Even if you're on the phone to a friend, difficulty sustaining your attention on the phone. And that also comes with the misperception of time or being time blind. And people might say, oh, she's always late or, you know, can't you just set a reminder? And it's really invalidating because it's it's an executive functioning problem. It's not a, I haven't tried that before kind of uh, issue. So if you find you're, you're missing time or time just goes, that's a big One, uh, emotional dysregulation. So struggling to regulate your emotions is a big one. And emotional regulation refers to being able to, I guess, calm yourself in a situation. So if you're feeling activated or triggered or anxious or upset, you may be impulsive. You may be quite reactive. There's a difficulty kind of because what happens is, right, your logical brain, this is where your executive function happens. So there's two parts of the brain. There's a logical brain. This is your reasoning, your judgment, your working memory. And that part of your brain actually doesn't develop until you're 25. And what they've found is that part of the brain in people with ADHD is 30% slower to develop as well. So this is why sometimes mm, people with ADHD may be labeled as immature or not 
you know, act their chronological age. And this part of your brain is what helps you kind of think of the right strategy. And you've already got, you know, deficits in that executive functioning. And we need that when we are activated. So when our fight or flight is set off, we need that part of the brain to problem solve through certain situations. So people with ADHD have a deficit in that problem solving. They may be struggle to sort of regulate their emotions when they're activated or in times of challenge. And another symptom is difficulty speaking in an organized way to express all your thoughts. So you probably want to get it out fast in the time you have because it's hard to have your thoughts organized. And on that topic of organization, people with ADHD, they struggle to um, keep things organized, difficulty cooking and shopping, having a messy car. They have difficulty keeping up with small talk. They feel fatigued from a normal schedule, quote unquote. Um, in it, yeah, <laughs> inability to accurately predict how long it takes to get tasks done. They may need repeated explanation of details or instructions. And th- there is honestly so much, but I guess the key component in a diagnosis is, does this interfere with your day-to-day functioning? And does it occur in more than one setting? So to actually get a diagnosis, it has to occur, you know, not just at school, it has to be work or your relationships. And this can affect your relationships as well, especially the impulsivity uh, subtype as well can interfere with your interpersonal relationships. And it affects romantic relationships because often people with the hyperactive impulsivity subtype, they tend to maybe jump from relationship to relationship and they often don't feel satisfied in relationships. However, I do want to put a disclaimer. If you experience that, I must say is that there is a high comorbidity with ADHD and other mental health conditions. So if you have these symptoms, it may not just be ADHD. There may be some underlying trauma. There may be some difficulty with anxiety. So we do see trans diagnostic overlap, which means symptoms of, because I get a lot of questions around borderline personality disorder and many people with borderline have ADHD as well. So that emotional dysregulation, the interpersonal challenges, they're seen across many disorders. So I don't want people to listen to this and generalize and self-diagnose. Um, so yes, it can be due to an overlap in another uh, disorder, but impulsivity may interfere with relationships, never feeling satisfied, and your your partner not understanding you. Maybe if they don't have, I guess, ADHD literacy or knowledge, they can often think you're so inconsiderate, you're so selfish, you just don't care. When really, it's an executive functioning issue. It's not a personal issue or a personal attack on them. So I think it's important to find relationships that are willing to learn about your ADHD and how can how they can help you thrive in that. So you don't feel like, oh my gosh, I've got to, you know, change how I am to function in this neurotypical world. So if a partner struggles with those things or they can't accept all parts of you, it may amplify, you know, uh, reactions or it may amplify fights or disagreements. And the thing is, a lot of women, as I said earlier, they will this is really sad and unfortunate, but what they've found is the number one coping mechanism women use for ADHD is hiding, but they are reluctant to seek help. They would rather kind of hide their symptoms rather than seek help. That's the number one coping mechanism. And the reason is because 
these brain-based symptoms, so these difficulties with cooking, shopping, clean, you know, cleaning, staying on top of tasks, uh, it leads them the sorry, these brain-based symptoms lead an urge to retreat, protect, or hide because they're fearful. They're fearful of rejection, of abandonment, of being dismissed, of being invalidated. So they try to mimic, I guess, neurotypical behaviors because they're scared that people are going to say all the things they've heard their whole life, essentially. And that can come out in relationships as well. When you're anxious, your frontal lobe flips and you can't actually access the information you need. And your frontal lobe is where your executive functioning happens. And this is where ADHD people struggle. So think of your executive functioning as your CEO of the brain. It's your working memory. So it's your memory in the moment. And that isn't working as efficiently as someone without ADHD. It's um, your emotional regulation, your processing speed. And so when you struggle with names and being on time and all of that, it's not you as a person trying to do that. The CEO of your brain is just different and it's not different bad. It is just different. And I, I, I love this description where they, they call it the, you know, invisible difficulty that people can't see from the outside. If you're questioning, if you're a narcissist and you feel scared of being one, you are probably more likely than not a narcissist because the difference between a narcissist and someone who thinks they have it is worrying about it and thinking you have it um, and feeling bad. You said, you know, I feel bad when I remember people's names and you're not deliberately trying to do it to hurt people. So narcissism <laughs> occurs on a spectrum and on the far end of the spectrum, you've got narcissistic personality disorder, but people can have narcissistic traits. We all lie somewhere on the spectrum. And is there overlap? Maybe, but I don't think it's problematic. I mean, people are preaching, be confident and self-love and all that. But when does that cross into uh, narcissism? So I think it, it does come down to, A, do people feel bad about the behavior? And if they do, if they, oh my gosh, I forgot their name. Whereas if someone's like, I'm going to pretend I forgot their name to make them feel really bad, that is the difference. We know that there is, you know, struggles with memory, with processing speed, with, with all of that. And I think you've got to be a bit kinder to yourself because, People without ADHD struggle with the same thing, but hey, you actually have a reason to not remember people's names. Um, and I think, look, it's, it's tricky. And yes, it can be a, a symptom because it is your working memory. It's the memory you need in the moment to remember someone's name. So absolutely, it can be a thing. It is extremely challenging to get a diagnosis in Australia particularly, you know, in Melbourne where I am, but anywhere in Australia, because no one in the public system deals with it. There is very little, if any, psychiatrists who will say bulk bill or who have availability. And it, there's no appointments. The um, doctors I work with who assess for it and who refer you, they're booked out to 2023. So number one, getting in with a psychiatrist is extremely challenging and it is expensive. Now, the reason you need to be diagnosed or you want to be diagnosed by a psychiatrist is because it is the only way you can get uh, pharmacotherapy treatment. It's the only way you can get medication, which is the first line of treatment for ADHD. Yes, a psychologist can diagnose you with ADHD, but you cannot get medication unless your diagnosis comes from a psychiatrist. Even a doctor 
doctors need what's called a letter of delegation, which is a letter of permission from a psychiatrist to prescribe dexamphetamines. It's a Schedule 8 drug. So a dexamphetamine needs a special type of letter from a psychiatrist and getting into that appointment with the psychiatrist is challenging. So for people who think they may have ADHD or they want to start this journey, I would 100% recommend looking at some of the resources out there and seeing if you resonate. There is a great YouTube channel called How to ADHD and this this lady talks about it and it's fantastic. And if you think you have it, look out for it, read some resources. And if you think you resonate, yes, go to your psychologist because you can book in for a psychiatrist and that appointment may be in months, months, months time. However, ADHD has a lot of comorbidities. And when I say comorbidities, what that means is two or more diagnoses or disorders that occur at the same time. We see such a high prevalence of people with ADHD also having bulimia, binge eating, substance use disorders, sexual trauma, PTSD. And what we recommend is up until the appointment with your psychiatrist, start to work on those other concerns, especially if you have a substance use disorder, such as a drug addiction, a psychiatrist is not going to prescribe you dexamphetamine. So you can work on that other addiction until your appointment if you have one. I also just want to point out that they are costly. They can be anywhere between $400 and $1,000 a session. But there is a letter called a 291. And what this is, is a letter that a doctor writes that actually gives you back $400 approximately on your appointment with a psychiatrist, but it's just a once-off. It's one appointment once a year. Yeah, that gives you your rebate. Yes. And not many people know about it, but if your doctor is aware of it, they can refer you to a psychiatrist under a 291 and you will get $400 back from Medicare approximately. So I definitely think there's so much online. So on uh, YouTube, there's uh, Jessica McKay, I believe is her name, How to ADHD, that uh, channel, but that gives you additional resources. So finding there's a book I don't know the exact name. I think it's called the ADHD coach. However, everyone has a different combination of ADHD, right? There's a certain amount of symptoms and people can have different combinations of symptoms. So it's about finding what is going to work for me and then trying to make your environment ADHD friendly. So for a lot of people at home, it's about making a task within arm's reach. So if there's a coffee, having all the things you need to make your coffee within arm's reach, you're not walking over to the fridge and then you go take your dog for a walk and then you got this empty coffee cup in your hand. It's about finding, yes, what do I struggle with? And then making that ADHD friendly for yourself. So there's lots of TikTok accounts that I can provide you with later, give you some links to that. Yeah, yeah, that have planners or not a planner, not a book, but it's just a single piece of paper you can put on your fridge, which you tick off. And it, again, needs to be modified for everyone's unique challenges. But I think finding a psychologist or a therapist who has experience in ADHD is extremely important. And often a psychologist who is trauma-informed, because we see a lot of comorbidity with ADHD and trauma as well. And yes, Psychologists can be costly, even with the rebate, but you also can find bulk billing psychologists 
as well in Australia. In general, 2.5% of the adult population have ADHD, but only 0.9% are being recognized and treated. ADHD often presents in childhood and when we are diagnosing it in adults, the person must have had symptoms at least around or before the age of 12. And what they've found is adult recall of past events or of ADHD ADHD symptoms in childhood is actually quite poor. So what we rely on is ancillary information. So what that means is we rely on speaking to parents, uh, loved ones to understand your behavior and get a, a picture from other people or yes, report cards, but it is more pronounced in children, male children mostly. Whereas as we said, women, children, they sort of, you know, get good grades or they might be less inattentive in class and be able to focus on their schoolwork. It just depends. Everyone is different, but in adult ADHD, the reason it can be challenging to diagnose is because women have learned masking behavior. They've learned how to mimic neurotypical behavior that's socially acceptable, whereas kids don't really know that yet. So they're just being them, you know? But the issue is the masking behavior, life stresses outweigh the masking. And it gets to a point in adulthood where you're like, I can't do this anymore. Something is not right because your coping is outweighed. You can have symptoms without meeting the full criteria. So with adults, they need five symptoms which are listed in the DSM-5 to meet a diagnosis, but it also has to interfere with their day-to-day functioning. So either in their occupational or in their relationships or in their schooling, and it can't be better explained by something else. So a lot of people who may get an ASD, sorry, a lot of people who may get an ADHD diagnosis may also be up for, is it autism? Is it a learning disorder? Is it a learning difficulty? There's so much that could potentially explain the symptoms. So yes, you may have traits. I have traits. We all have traits, but it doesn't mean we we have the disorder unless we meet the full criteria. We probably see more comorbidity with ADHD and borderline personality disorder. We found that people with borderline personality disorder, 40% of them are also likely to have ADHD. And with ASD, yes, there is a likelihood that there is comorbidity. But again, ASD is hard to diagnose in adults, especially women, because Women have learned masking behavior, what is socially acceptable, how to act, and it can be challenging to diagnose, but it is important to screen for and for people, give them, I guess, an explanation for their behavior. There's always, oh, you know, you know, people are fearful of labeling or getting a diagnosis. And I think if anyone is listening to this and thinking they may have ADHD or they want to get diagnosed, the first question to really ask yourself is, is why. Why do I want a diagnosis or what will that mean to me? If I do receive a diagnosis and if I don't receive a diagnosis, what will that mean to me? Because I think having a diagnosis isn't necessarily always a a magic answer and there's no evidence-based psychological intervention. It is symptom management and medication for most people. And people find 
the medication is magic. We call it the Cinderella effect. You, you suddenly have it and then you're able to be productive and be, you know, more organized with work. We kind of call it shiny object um, syndrome. So when it's like, oh, this thing, oh, that thing. What um, the dexamphetamine does is it stimulates the frontal lobe and it says focus on one thing now and it quietens the hyperactivity, it quietens the impulsivity. And some people actually worry, like, am I going to lose who I am? Am I going to lose my personality? Especially, you know, you're so like charismatic and chatty and, you know, you're, you're on in your radio show. But what's important to know is like Cinderella at midnight or when the medication wears down, you're going to be that same person. And unlike anti- yeah, unlike antidepressants, uh, this type of medication is quite different. You can be selective with when you take it. And if one day you don't want to take it, it's okay. It's not like an antidepressant where you need to take it consistently every day. Just a disclaimer, I'm not a psychiatrist and I can't prescribe medication. So I'm just, <laughs> just having a general chat. So what they have now is what's called a retrospective diagnosis and if someone is diagnosed with ADHD and it has been going on for quite a long time, people are really loving Vyvanse because it is long active. So long active means it lasts longer as a, as opposed to shorter acting uh, medication. And what they've also found is long acting medication such as Vyvanse, it actually helps with comorbid conditions such as binge eating or other diagnoses that people have. But again, medication is such an individual experience. So it's important to find what works for you. I think there's a lot of pressure or comments that just wait, just give it time. It's going to be okay. But I think if you find being on the medication doesn't enhance your life in any way or doesn't allow you to function better and you've experienced this for a prolonged period of time, then yes, definitely chat to your psychiatrist about it. Or if you're having really adverse side effects that just aren't worth, the juice isn't worth the squeeze, that may be (laughs) when it may be worth speaking to your psychiatrist about as well. But I think it's important to point out is it needs to be used in conjunction with psychological therapy or in conjunction with modification of your environment or strategies or skills. It's If you just do it alone and you're not trying to put things in your calendar or, you know, set your timers or whatever, it's probably not going to feel as effective as it could. I would just love for everyone to head on over. If you've got questions, I've got lots of videos on my TikTok page and I always reply to people's questions and do more videos on that because I think mental health needs to be expressed. It needs to be validated and now people are getting so aware of it. So let's educate people on what they may be experiencing. I look forward to hearing your feedback and enjoy. See you soon. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.